Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's our scripture study class, YouTube channel, podcast, where we talk about different things from the scriptures we think you don't want to miss. We're in the second half of the New Testament right now, Book of Hebrews. And I was looking at the schedule, the Come Follow Me schedule. We will study this in church the first week of November, which means you might have Halloween by the time you watch this already, and Merry Christmas. Might as well just True, start. we'll have Christmas up our house, yeah. probably. Oh my, oh. <laughs> you will have Christmas up at this house. Emily puts it up November 1st, so <laughs> you're practically that. there. And we should just, because it's November, we're about to get ready to start into Book of Mormon year next year. And I know it feels like, listen, we have so many fun things left in the New Testament. So don't say goodbye to the New Testament yet, because the Book of Revelation is coming, and John, 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 which are all... Super good. So don't you dare say goodbye to this book yet because some really, really good stuff is coming. But we want to kind of let you know what we have for you for next year. We, our hope is just to help you become Come Follow Me champions, to be students of the scriptures and to be able to teach them, to be able to have them come alive. What's a really simple and significant ways to like remember it as I go throughout my week, as I teach my classes, my kids and, and all of those things. And this YouTube channel will always be free for you to study and you can just take notes on pieces of paper. But we've developed a couple of resources that could help you out that we designed to just like, man, how do I make Come Follow Me come alive in a really simple and significant way for me and for my family. So a lot of the old friends we have coming back next year, new and improved, actually, we'll just kind of show you really fast. And then one new guy that you're going to be so excited about. So let's just jump through those real quick and show you we have our Word a Week posters, which will be for next year. Each of the things in them, by the way, are you, they're the ones that we study the names of Christ this year. Just kind of the highlight word from each chapter. The way we use these in our family is on Sunday. When we like start a new week, we'll just say like, this is the chapters we're studying this week. And here's kind of the word of that week. And we just review it. We look at this year for the Book of Mormon, there's an 1828 Webster's Dictionary definition of that word. It's kind of what that word would have meant in the time that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. So just to kind of get some full nuance with that. And all the words, by the way, happen to be kind of mercies and blessings from God throughout the entire book. So it would be cool to start the week and say like, here's a way God shows mercy and goodness to us. And and maybe let's watch for that this week. And it'll be a good preview for the week. And it's cute because one of my favorite things about all of these things is I feel like the purpose of all of them is to elevate your come follow me in every aspect of you doing come follow me. Yeah. Like it's not just like your personal study or just your family study, but it's your classroom study. It's everything. And so the journal, you guys, this for real is the best journal. Don't miss this has ever made. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I am. And I'm confidently saying it. I am obsessed with it. I wish it was January right now just because I love this journal. Don't give away New Testament yet. So, but I saw that. And it has everything that you normally love. It has the five questions. I use it for one every single day of the week. That's a work week, like Monday through Friday. And it has your everything you need, extra note spaces. And then this part you are going to love extra because of what David just explained, how all of them have like a mercy from 
the Book of Mormon, but if you go into the journal, at uh, the very bottom of one of the pages, it gets you get to write a mercy in your life and in the story, which is so cute. So you love all of that. I love it for personal study. You can do it with your family. The questions would be really cool with the family or even in a class. But my favorite part as a teacher, because I'm selfish and I need help planning every single lesson I plan, um, are these worksheets that are in the back of every single week. And they're seriously, like, let me just show you how pretty they are. Every single one you just want to be obsessed with. Like this, goodbye. This is the cutest thing in the whole entire world. Like, they look so pretty, which doesn't really matter, but it matters a little bit in my heart, okay? <laughs> it's just fine, everyone. <laughs> um, so but, those, these worksheets are perfect for your own personal study, or they're great to just copy. Yeah, and, like, and just here. print out and give them to your class, and it's your whole lesson. Right, use as it. So it's sort of and like pretty. The, the, maybe the, one, the number one or number two, like, best kind of thing you could really develop a discussion with or kind of sink into that's what the worksheet and it matches one around. of the questions which i think is really cool when you teach that it goes with sometimes with teaching that's the hardest part is thinking of questions this gives you a question and an activity right which yeah. is lucky and the questions are good because you can use them either for teaching or you can use them just as a bible study but book of mormon you know for yourself yeah. like let me dig into this a little bit yeah make sure we also have tippins again which Again, I, listen, we elevated everything this year. We just made them. We learned so much from last year, and I think they got better. So You're going to you, die when you see them. So, They're so good. Not only do they have, like, these that are just, uh, like, And the colors are awesome, so pretty. Go in cool spots that teach you really cool stuff. There's the Tree of Life one. Um, but in the beginning of every book of the Book of Mormon, there are two. And one of them is a book at a glance. It's like, here are the different things that happen in that chapter that are noteworthy. Like this one's first Nephi. It's like Lehi leaves Jerusalem. Nephi goes for the plates, the tree of life, the Leahona, the ship part, arriving in the promised land and sort of like a table of contents for the chapter. And then there's a people at a glance and it shows you all the people you get to meet in that chapter as well. And a little mini bio for each of them. And you put these at the beginning of every chapter or throughout the book, like different spots that will just help the Book of Mormon become a study Book of Mormon, which is really, really cool. Well, and that's what I was going to say. That's one of the things that I love so much in scripture study is having like study Bibles to study with that just give you extra information. And I'm obsessed with the tippins for Book of Mormon year that I, they are going to turn my Book of Mormon into a study Book of Mormon, which I've never studied with that before. Yeah. So I'm stoked about that. Yeah. So all those and the stickers that you can put into your margins that Becky Higgins designs for us that are so darling and turn your Bible into a Book of Mormon this year into a, uh, what do they call it? Like a journaling one. Yeah. You can use these in the margins or in it's the so journal. It's so cute to have colorful scriptures. Yeah. So you have all of that. Now a new friend for oh, this year, which we guys. thought would be super cool. It is this little calendar that goes onto your countertop or a little nightstand for your kids. And it's the, it's called Read It, Live It. And it's 365 mini pages. And it tells you what your reading is. Grace is just laughing at me because I like can't help but like the top. The, it's just such good quality. You just like, want to buy it for that. Yeah, it's like... Book of Mormon ASMR. Um, and it tells you this is your reading for the day. If you're trying to read the whole Book of Mormon in a year, this is your what your reading for that day was. That's your read it and then your live it. And it's one verse out of that, a little thought out of that. Um, like this day, for example, it says, let him work in you today. Like that's something that you would think about all that day. And, and there's a read it and live it for every day. Read Alma 22, 18 to 35. Um, this is when King Lamoni's father wants to give up everything to know God. So that's the highlighted verse. And then the thought, the thing to live it that day is give something up. 
for God. So there's a read it, live it for every single day. And this just kind of is your schedule for reading and something to kind of do every single day on there. So those are all the things. Um, thank you. Thank you for letting us show off those creations once a year and let you know that they are available. They are at Deseret Bookstores or at DeseretBook.com. Um, if you add all of them, the whole suite of them. Oh, because the devotional book. There's also that. I was like, I'm missing one thing. Um, where it's every day, w- one little thought from every chapter that's more devotional, like a story or a dig into a thought or something like that. This is the one <laughs> for the Old <laughs> Testament just sitting one. here. But at least you can kind of get an idea of just like, oh, it's like a, a little thing you could read at the breakfast table. That or... was my favorite thing when I was in college. That oh, I yeah. loved it. I like, oh. And that's actually a really cool thought. If you are trying to think about a high schooler or a college age person or someone like that, I was obsessed with that because it made it so relatable. That makes it seem things so relatable. Connects an analogy or a story that has to do with it. So if you add, if you get the whole suite of them, there's a little discount online and in the stores until November 12th. So there is that. And then also you might just want to get your order in when this video is over. Um, because they do sell out and then they have to restock and just what if you have it all done you can use them as christmas gifts and 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 web, whatever else but True, remember it's christmas now yeah, it's, it's november christmas, so. it's christmas. but thanks for letting us show them off again this video will always be free that you can just watch it and and be a part of it um but if you'd like a little bit of help in making your home or helping you teach your families or your own study then we created all of these things um for you and they complement and go really well with the video so Okay, are you ready for today's? Let's jump in. Um, let's not be too excited about the Book of Mormon. Let's get excited because it's coming. It's two You're months so away. Worried. You're so worried. I know because some good it. stuff is coming, but including today, Hebrews. Um, stop with this title. It's it's uh, going to come up in one of the oh. verses that Paul uses. But this I, Hebrews, this one's, I say Paul, if in the King James Bible, um, it has at the very top, you know, that this is written by Paul, like a JST. It's where is that? Oh, at the very beginning. I'm like, where is the thing? By the title. By the title. This is an epistle of Paul. You might want to know that, um, and you can see this on the New Testament tip-in for this year, that it says most likely Paul is the author, but there's Bible scholars who debate whether it's him or not, like who actually is the author. I should just sneak into this real quick, just for a second. Um, And we're actually going to come back to this verse, but I like that Hebrews 1 starts with the word God, who, you know, does this. And most of Paul's letters, he starts off with like, written by Paul, greetings. And I just like that it's a reminder, like, wait, we don't really know the author of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews 1.1 reminds us, but God is actually the author of every book um, throughout the Bible. And that's a cool little um, reminder with Hebrews. And then who the intended audience was and the cool stuff that you're going to find in the book in here, but um, Hebrews is written to a group of people. We don't know where they live who understand the Old Testament really well. And there's no explanation really in here about Old Testament stories, Old Testament figures, Old Testament symbolism, because whoever's writing this letter just assumes that you know all of those. And he's going to talk about different things throughout that book that all point to Jesus. So We'll jump into our first segment, which we're calling better. And this is because this word shows up 13 times in the book of Hebrews. Because Paul 
is, I'm just going to say Paul is the author. Is that okay? Like, can we just get used <laughs> to that throughout the entire thing? Because it might be. Um, Paul says how wonderful angels are in the Old Testament story and how wonderful the tabernacle is and how amazing prophets like Moses and Abraham are and, and the ordinances and the sacrifices of the temple were all amazing, but Jesus is better. And every single one of those things points to him. Prophets are fantastic, but they point us to him. The temple is wonderful, but it points us to him. The Torah is amazing. The law is an amazing way to live, but it points us to him. Every single thing that we love and know, he's trying to say, but Jesus is better. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus is what your soul and heart and life are actually longing for. So our worksheet this week is actually this one, and it's um, you can see it on here. It has three sections on it. The works of Christ, the attributes of Christ, and the titles of Christ. And I would use this worksheet throughout the whole book. We're only doing chapters one through six today, but save it and come back. And if you're teaching, you might want to just sneak in the second half of the book when you're teaching it and do the book as a whole in a class. Um, but as you study, you want to keep track of, wait, what am I learning about what Christ does? And what am I learning about what Christ is like? And what am I learning about who Christ is all throughout the book of Hebrews? So start this at the very, very beginning. And this is actually one a great lesson idea too, where you'll just like, hey, you could give a whole bunch of verses or divide up the chapters and hand them out to a bunch of people and say, tell us what you learned about what Christ does what his character and attributes are like, and give us some titles and names for Christ that kind of would represent that, you know, what you learned. And I would even say this doesn't really have anything to do with Hebrew, so sorry, but now in my head, I just want to say it. If you, for me, this is such an eye-opening way of actually reading all of scripture mm -hmm. that I wouldn't forget about this. And if you struggle getting things out of scriptures or understanding like a big takeaway from scripture, because sometimes that's me, I would print this out and that would be a regular scripture study for me anywheres. Yeah. Just because I think those are the three most powerful things you can take from scripture that's is awesome. actually about who Jesus is. And so that would be just like, really, that's just a side note that yeah. I would, I want to live my life reading my scriptures like that. So just it, for me, it's actually what made scripture study come alive Yeah. was I read the scripture so long learning for advice, like teach me how I'm supposed to live. Give me heroes I'm supposed to emulate my life after. And when I started to read scriptures to learn about who God is and how he shows up and how he's actually the hero of my life and story, it made scripture study take, uh, it became worship and it became alive and it became beautiful. So this would be a great way to study it on your own, copy it again and again and again yeah. for every book. That could be so cool. And a good week to practice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Or just if it's a mini class or something like that, it's like, let's just keep track of it. You know, or what if you gave your challenge to like your kids for a week? Like, hey, keep track of during your reading for the whole week, some, you know, everything that you, so we want for today, you to just keep track of all of this as, um, as you study the book and as we move through and just kind of a way to introduce and understand that um, Jesus is, Jesus is better than all of these things. All these things point to him. As fantastic as the other things are. It's fun when he starts with angels at the very beginning. He's just like, Angels came and brought the law. It was like, but Jesus is better than 10,000 angels even. So it's kind of fun stuff. Okay. Now we're going to get into it. And um, the book of Hebrews is so good. And we're let's just start. This one's called 
that you are mindful that that's going to be your favorite verse in the history of ever. But we're going to start before that because it's going to make it better. And we're going to start so easy. Hebrews 1.1. Right at the very beginning, exactly where he started. And David kind of mentioned this at the very beginning. But how he's going to start is he's going to introduce God at the start. Hebrews 1.1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the time passed unto the fathers by the prophets. But if you go really quick at the very beginning, if there's like a little footnote at the word at, and if you go and look at what it says, all of a sudden this verse changes to me in the most beautiful way ever. Because all of a sudden now it's saying God who in many locations and various ways. And all of a sudden he wants to say, listen, let me remind you that we actually have an everyday God, Mm -hmm. a God who is going to show up in so many different locations, more locations than we might be expecting, and in even more ways than we ever could imagine. He's going to show up in so many different areas, so many different ways. And it makes me think, I'm going on a trip. I like leave on Thursday, and I've never been to the country that I'm going to or the city that I'm going to. Like, I don't even know anything about it, to be honest. I haven't even done any research. I'm the worst trip planner ever. And (laughs) it's fine. Everyone's going to be worried about that. You guys, I'm going to be okay. Um, But what happened is I was like asking as many people as anyone who I had ever heard had gone to where I'm going. I was like, hey, what do you know about this place? Because I need help. And one of my friends, he just sent me this Google link. And I clicked on it, and it's like every single place that he went to while he was in that city, all like dotted. And I was like, oh, I'm going to love my trip. Look, you just planned it for me. I'm so lucky. And then when I looked at it, it made me so excited to go because I was like, oh, wait, I already have so many favorite places. And when I just read that and just that line, many locations in various ways, it just makes me think, oh, I actually want my life to be dotted like that map. I was just thinking that same thing. I was like, please go to that. You know? Because now I want a Google map of like, yes. that's marked. And by... why shouldn't you do that in your class? I'm not even kidding. That would be the cutest thing ever. If you just went and pinned, go back and actually pin the locations where you've seen God. That'd be the cutest little map in the whole so entire world. Awesome. If you just printed one out and everyone just colored wherever yeah. there was. But that is actually one of our ideas that we love about this section is what if you actually did just write down many locations various ways and start saying, okay, what are the many locations that have actually seen God show up? And it could be a place as random as McDonald's, or it could be the church pew that your family has sat on every single year Mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. Or it could be your car at a certain four-way stop that you're like, oh, I actually know that God showed up that day. But what if you started making that little map that my friend made me for my trip but actually it was your life and where God showed up. And what if you started listing the different ways that God entered into your story? Because for me, sometimes I struggle with the question that is as old as time practically of, oh, is that me? Is that God? What happened? Where was that the spirit? Was that my idea? And I just love the idea that if you're seeing God in various ways, you might see him in more ways too. Yeah. And like your post that you posted the other day, where you were just talking about, was it a post? Yeah. Okay, yeah. where you are just like, here's the different ways I feel like God has shown up into someone like me, into my story. And I loved it and would recommend it to everybody. Um, her Instagram account is This Week's Grace, which is such a cute name. <laughs> but it just kind of opened up my mind to start thinking about, oh, what are the various ways that God has shown up? And this would be a cool thing in a class to like let people, does anyone want to share this? Because then it might get everybody else's mind going. 
Like, oh, whoa, those are ways that he's shown up that I maybe wouldn't have ever thought of before. And that would be, I think, and then what you just said, which is cool, that this is a, a practice that I, I, it's, t- it's tested and true. That if you begin to watch for God showing up in his many locations in various ways, you get better at noticing it. If you record it, if you notice it, record it, you get better at noticing it. And I love to believe in a God that's like that. Same. That from the very beginning, he actually wants you to be introduced to a God that is going to show up in every single location you'll allow him. That he's like, oh no, like he's going to come everywhere. If you want to invite him, like he's going to be in various, various locations. He's going to be everywhere you need him to be. And also he's going to show up in so many different ways. Whatever way you need, he actually is capable of showing up like that. So what if you just like really in my head, I'm like, I just want to live. I want to have a map and I want to have a list. And then I'm like, oh wait, he's actually that big. He can cover the whole world. He can cover my whole life. You know, Mm -hmm. he's dotted like that. And then in chapter two, he's going to go even a little bit deeper. And I just love when God's introduced like this, almost for real, just like an everyday God, that he really wants to show you that he is present. He lives in your present life in as many ways as he possibly can. Because if you go down um, to chapter two and you go to verse four, all of a sudden it's going to like almost like build on the same idea. And it's going to say, God also bearing them witness, which I just love that it, he's just like wants to be there. He wants to be a witness of your life. He wants to like show you. He wants to prove it to you mm-hmm. that he is there. You know, mm-hmm. they, if you're like, I actually don't know if he's showing up in various ways or in many locations. It's almost as if the author wants to say, oh, actually, God wants to prove that he really will. And then he's going to say, look for the evidence, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. That He's like, these are actually going to be the evidence of the God you just learned about in chapter one. And I think it would be so cool to even go through and say, okay, What's the difference between a sign, a wonder, a miracle, and a gift? Mm-hmm. What do those all look like? Because sometimes when we talk, we talk so generally that those all might look like the same thing. But I think there's something powerful in saying, okay, what's actually a sign? What is actually a wonder? What is something that makes me like full of wonder? What is a miracle and what is a gift? And then just do the same thing. Okay, so if God wants to prove that he's going to show up, like chapter one, like the God he was described in as chapter one. What are my evidences of Mm -hmm. that? You know, Mm -hmm. where am I going to see that? What is my list of, where are the signs lately in my life? What are the wonders in my life, the miracles and the gifts? Because I want to know a God like that. And I think getting to know a God like that is actually starting to see him like that. Yeah. And I like the idea of doing both of these. One, a chance to sit down and like, okay, let me look back over the past week, the past month, the past years and see that. But then also, this would be another great thing to say for the next seven days, 14 day challenge, whatever, until we come back together, you know, let's look for these things. Like make a little paper that has all of these on it and give it to everybody and say, keep track. Every night before you go to bed, you know, write down where did I see any of these things that mm-hmm. were that were in there. That's cool that you could do a looking back, but you could also do a challenge going forward. And how exciting to live your life in a way that God is just dotting your whole yes, story. Yes, that map is in, I just I love know. that whole idea. It's so cute. Yeah. And then that six, you were going to do that verse six. Oh, yeah. Your oh, favorite one. Oh my gosh, one. how did I almost your... just forget? <laughs> That's going to be so sad. Because then in verse six, the cutest question of all is asked. 
And it's just, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And for me, it's sometimes these moments when I look around and even for me, I like look at the stars or the mountains or I like look at the ocean and I'm like, this is so much bigger than me. He is so much bigger than me that I like I legit could drown in the ocean and no one would even notice. Like I am like the tiniest little sliver in the whole entire world. And all of a sudden, it's as if all of these want to be evidences of a God who is mindful of you individually. Mm-hmm. That the world could be that big and mountains could tower over you and oceans could span the majority of the whole entire planet. And you can't even fathom how God could pay attention to anything more than just those because how does he even make those work? I don't even know. I don't even can't even begin to wonder. And then all of a sudden, there's all of these testimonies, all of these witnesses, all of these evidences that actually the God that created all of that, the God that is making all of that continually work, actually is that wrapped up in your life. He Mm. is mindful of you. Mm -hmm. He cares just as much about making your life work as he does the ocean and mountains. Right. In fact, Alma in the Book of Mormon will teach the oceans and the mountains are evidence that he cares about you. And that other word at the end of verse six, or that you would visit him. Who am I? What business, God, do you have being mindful of someone like me or visiting someone like me with everything that you have going on? And that is the the message of the beginning of the book of Hebrews is this everyday God. And um, I want to go back to that chapter one for just a second and, and say this. This is where we'll get introduced to our, our name for Jesus for this week. But it says that first one says, God, who at various times in all those locations revealed, him, revealed himself by the prophets, is what verse one says. And then it says in verse two, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Who, verse three, I love this, being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. That God revealed his heart and his character through prophets for so many years. And he says, and now he's revealed himself through his son, who's the very expressed image of him. That learning who Jesus is, is the greatest way to learn who the father is. And there's something that's really important, like scripturally and doctrinally um, about that, that Jesus is the express manifestation of the heart and love and character of the Father. You remember Philip, the disciple, asked Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus answered, and he says, oh, Philip, how long have you been with me? Like when you see me, you've seen the Father. You've seen what the Father would do. You've seen how interested the Father is. Like the Father would stop at the woman at the well. The Father would stop on his way to an appointment to talk to the lady on the roadside. The father would take interest in, in, in a sick boy. That he is that express image of who the father is. And I think that's really powerful, the beginning of one. But go back now to chapter two. And I'm thinking of somebody who would make, have that list in front of them of the various ways and the many locations and the signs and wonders and, and maybe walk away with an empty page and say, well, God doesn't ever play a song for me. And God doesn't ever have someone text me just at the right time. And I'm having a really hard time seeing where he is. And verse eight says, but now we see not yet all things. 
This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. But yet now we see, but now we see not yet all things. But then look at the first four words of verse 9. But we see Jesus. And we see that he was made lower than the angels and that he suffered death. And by the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. For it became him at the beginning of verse 10 um, to become the captain of our salvation, made perfect through sufferings. And this is such a, 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 when we talk about all of the different ways that God shows up in our life, um, I think it's important to remember that the most powerful way he showed up for all of us was by sending his son in the person of Jesus. On that location, the, lo- the location was Calvary's Hill. And the way was his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's the greatest sign, and he's the greatest wonder, and he's the greatest gift of all. And so if you are having a hard time seeing the love and interest of God in your life, come back to Hebrews 2.9. We now, we see not yet all things, but we can see Jesus. And we can know from that moment in time that God is for us, that God loves us, and that God is mindful um, of us. And verse 10, this is where we got that word of our weak captain, the name for Jesus, that he's the captain of our salvation. And I love that the Greek says this, that he's the leader, he's the author, but the first cause um, and it makes me think of like a captain of a ship, like, you know, like the Titanic, like the captain's like, I will go down with this ship. Mm. It's my first cause. Like, I'm not interested in saving myself. Like getting this boat to where it needs to be is my first cause. And we see that in the father and the son. We are their first cause. They are the captain of our salvation. They're like my number one entrance interest and effort, my work, and my glory is to get you into the safe harbor, to get you to your destination. And, and um, the proof of that was on, was Jesus coming to the world and Jesus dying for the world. Like you just say, like, I just know that is true now because of, of those things. So that's our name for the week and um, extra name study for the week also. Okay. And now we're going to go to chapter three. And I feel like this is such, it almost seems like the perfect time. It just matches. It makes sense because I guess he wrote all at the same time. So it just adds up. It would go in order because all of a sudden um, he's going to start talking about these moments in the wilderness. And he brings up the story of Moses, which makes sense when you know his audience. That all of a sudden he's like, okay, let me talk about things that you're familiar with. He brings up this story of Moses. And if you go to chapter three, verse eight, um, he brings up these moments in the wilderness. And I love that he calls it in the day of temptation in the wilderness, because there are moments in every single one of our lives that the answer almost seems like to give up hope, that that is the temptation is to just be done. Like I have been in this wilderness for about 800 more hours than I have even wanted to be in this wilderness for. Yeah. And now I just want to be done, you mm-hmm. know? And it is easy in those moments. And I just love that it's called a temptation to give up. That it's just like, oh, you, you like, right when you hear that word temptation, at least for me, there's like a feeling in my heart that like feels like temptation. That is just like, oh, like pulling me almost. And 
I really do feel like there are so many moments that maybe it's moments when we wonder if he actually is mindful. Or maybe it's moments when we're sitting there and we're like, it seems like he's aware of everyone else but not me. Or you hear all these words, wonders and miracles and gifts, and you're like, yeah, well, where are mine? Because I'm in the wilderness, and in the wilderness, I am tempted to give up. That seems like the best option. And um, he goes through, and you can read through um, verse 6 through verse 14 is that whole idea of like, okay, let's remember Moses and his people in the wilderness and what happened there and the temptation for them to give up and some that did and Moses, right? Yeah, almost like all of them, right? Yeah. You got to a spot where he just says like, it, remember in those 40 years, like people eventually gave up. They stopped, um, they stopped believing, it says, with the very last verse in, in chapter 3. They could not enter into the rest because of their unbelief, which is, he explains here, was, which was a rebellion, you know, that they walked away. They're just like, I, you know, I can't do this. Anymore. Yeah. Which, and is the most, like, for me, almost one of the temptations that really is so captivating to me, because really sometimes that does seem easier to just give up. And the whole message, all of a sudden, if you get to verse 13, And verse 14, those just like win your heart almost. Because he's going to say, listen, the wilderness is going to be difficult. And I love that this is a reminder that you weren't in the wilderness alone. Mm -hmm. That there are actually other people in the wilderness. And he's going to look and he's going to say, listen, exhort one another daily while it is called today. Which is now in my head, I just want to write the word today everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. Because I love that he's like, oh, if a day is called today, which is every single day that you're living in. Yeah. Actually, your job that day is to make sure people don't give up. Yeah. Every day that's called today, encourage other people. Yeah. Yeah. So every single day. I'm like, okay, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my whole entire life. If it is going to be today, then you should wake up every morning and think people are living in the wilderness and they need encouragement. Yeah. And they need a daily dose of encouragement. Kind of like that manna was. Like your encouragement, it, it goes rotten tomorrow. Yeah, There needs to be a fresh fall of it every single day. And we're talking about a people who walked through an ocean, who witnessed the frogs and the lice and the locusts and like, and we're being led by a fireball, you know, at nighttime. (laughs) We're not just talking, you know, like these are the, this is how hard the wilderness places can be. It's not that they weren't spiritually or it's not like God wasn't showing up in their story. It was just like. People need the reminders every day. They need the encouragement every single day. They need that word exhort means to just like build up, remind people. There's that line from that song. um, Is he worthy is the Mm. name of that song. But there's that one line in there and it says this and, and just so sweet every time I hear it. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Just talking about who God is and that the son and the spirit are among us. And it's just like, Yes, it is good that we do that and it's and it's needed. Yeah. And it just makes me want to think like, oh, who is in the wilderness with me right now? That like, why don't I wake up every single day and like text someone and be like, oh no, like you got this. That's what like sometimes you just need that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it really can be as simple as a text, or it really can be as simple as a compliment. And I just love the idea of this isn't just needed for one second. This is needed every single day that's called today. Mm-hmm. So just start living like that. And then all of a sudden you go to verse 14 and um, it just, it's, you, it matches so, so well. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast 
until the end. That all of a sudden it's like, listen, run towards that. Grab onto it. Don't miss out. Like you've got this. You actually really can. Like that, living in that confidence, living in that grabbing on with Jesus. And I love that it's him, right? We are made partakers of Christ. We get to experience him. We actually get to do life with him when we grab onto that hope that we need in the wilderness. And sometimes we maybe need encouragement to get there. We might need a little strengthening on our way to grabbing on to that hope. But actually, you can live in that. You can hold onto that. You can live in the wilderness grasping that hope. Yeah. And I think this is so cool. And this is going to lead into the, the next segment, kind of. They're, they're going to share some, some of the same ideas. But if you come to... So this is the advice to us. But then look at what it says at the beginning of chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren. And don't you love that idea of like the togetherness? Like we're a family. When he calls we're in them. this. Yeah. Partakers of the heavenly calling. That's what he's calling them, right? Consider the apostle and high priest Jesus. Or some other translations say this, fix your thoughts on Jesus. One translation says, take a good, hard, long look at Jesus, Mm. who was faithful to him that appointed him. Your captain is someone who also did not give up when it was difficult. And maybe we can jump over to chapter five for just a second and look at these verses. Who in the days of his flesh, this is verse seven, chapter five, verse seven, talking of Jesus, when he was in his wilderness, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, but didn't. I added that, but didn't, because you know the story. (laughs) That he lived a life that was filled with prayers and beggings, strong cryings and tears, knew God was able to save him and rescue him from death. When he said in the garden, if there's any other way, please. But if not, I'll hold on until the very end. I won't give up. Even though he were a son, it says in verse eight, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered and being made perfect through all of that. And, and I think there's something about that, that just like, when I look to my captain, I look at someone who's, he prayed, his prayers were heard, he was a son of God, yet he still suffered. And sometimes when we suffer, we disqualify one, two, and three, right? We'll say, because I'm suffering, he must not hear my prayers, he must not be mindful, I must not actually be his son. But we look to our captain who prayed and begged, was heard, and still suffered, and was a son. And we look at his life and like, and look at, and through all that, he learned obedience through it and was made perfect through the experience. Like he became something through the experience. And so I think as we are trying to hold on, we look to him who held on. Well, and especially because I think sometimes in our wilderness moments, we think that we're weak or we think that we're the like the biggest problem in the world. Like, oh, I'm the only one that isn't struggling in my wilderness. Everyone else seems to be doing amazing at the wilderness. And I love that he wants to remind you, oh, no, actually, like you're not weak because you're struggling. Like other people have struggled. Including Jesus. The greatest of all. Right. 
who brought three friends into Gethsemane with him and said, will you please pray? Because I don't think I can do this without your support, without your encouragement, without your, without your strength. You're in good company if you're struggling in the wilderness. Yeah. In fact, our next section is called the throne of grace. And this is in maybe your favorite verse that's going to come up in this entire book. But I just want you to consider for a second the idea of a throne that normally people who sit on a throne are like a prince or a king or a queen or a princess. And you would think, oh, that's a really pampered person. Um, They've lived in the palace. They've never carried the water. They've never planted the garden. They've never worked a day in their life. They grew up with a silver spoon. That this is what you would think about somebody who's on a throne. And so I want you to just like consider that that's what you normally you would normally who sits on a throne is someone who is distant from you. Who gets to write the king a letter and get answered? You know, people who sit on a throne have no idea what's happening on ground level, but not our king. And Paul wants to show how our king is very different. And I want you to see this whole list that's here. There's a couple verses that we're going to highlight. In fact, if we start in Hebrews chapter 2, at the very end of the, of the chapter, it said this. Um, start in 16, because it says this. He took not on him the nature of angels when he came to the world, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He was born through that line. He took on mortality. And, and then it says, wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He's, I want to experience mortality the way people experience mortality. With hunger and thirst and tiredness and pain and scraping of the knees and all of those things. That, why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he's able to succor them that are tempted. That's a verse that says Jesus understands. Our captain knows what it's like to be in a wilderness. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to want to give up. He knows what it's like to feel like it's too hard. And we could say that even goes on to even deeper levels. In fact, let's add one other verse here, which is chapter 4, verse 16. Maybe tie those two verses together. Um, Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, and link them to chapter 4, Verse 15 and 16, he says, we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Meaning, we don't have a high priest that doesn't get it. But he was in all points tempted like we are. Yet he didn't sin. (laughs) That's the only difference. (laughs) He didn't give in. And do you know that talk? Um, uh, I mean, that quote from C.S. Lewis, where he just says, where he says the only one in the world who actually knows the full power of temptation is Jesus because he never gave in. He's like, mm-hmm. you don't ask the person who gave in after three days how strong that was. You ask the person who fought it consistently without, because the day you give in, you're like, oh, you don't, you don't yeah, experience you don't the rest. The strength. Yeah. Um, but then he says this, 16, let us therefore, and before I say that, before I read that word, here's a list of other verses. And you can take a screenshot of that if it shows, or remember these PDFs are always in the app, that he was made lower than angels. He learned obedience through suffering. He was made like his brethren. He was tempted, not only tempted, but in all points was he tempted. If you think bread and jumping off the temple were the only temptations for Jesus in his life, then (laughs) Hebrews says, 
you were wrong. That verse <laughs> we read, strong crying and tears. Oh, 4.12, I wanted to look at real quick because it's some words that we're familiar with. He says, for the word of God is quick. A word that means living. And remember one of Jesus' names is the word of God, right? It's living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. I read one Bible scholar who said, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that was the anthropology of the day. That was the understanding of the body of that day. And that was a way to say, there's no part of human life that is unknown to God. He knows, it, he can split through all, like he knows every part of what it means to be a human and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows the physical experience, he knows the heart experience, and he knows the mental experience of mortality. He knows every part. And then it says, if all that's true, therefore, Chapter 4, verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. He knows what it's like. He knows people can easily make mistakes. He knows that they're tempted to give up. He knows that it's hard. He knows that it's difficult. Come to the throne of grace. Come ask for his help, for his companionship, for his power. And it doesn't just say come timidly. It says come boldly. You don't have to come and say, like, oh, crap, I'm so embarrassed that I can't figure this out. He gets it. He knows why you can't. Ah, uh, he's going to be so mad that I, I, I made that mistake again, even though I promised 88 times I wouldn't. He gets it. So walk in boldly to the throne of grace and say, I need your help. I need your strengthening, enabling power in me. And when you do, you will obtain mercy and find the grace to help you in the time of need. Don't be embarrassed to come unto him with whatever the problem is. Because what you will find is not a repulsed look, but you'll find mercy and you'll find grace and you'll find compassionate understanding. And don't miss what you can learn about Jesus from this. The fact that he actually decided to be born a human so that he could understand humans, mm -hmm. so that he could love a human like me. Yeah. Like that in and of itself, I don't want to, I don't want to not know that about Jesus. Mm. That actually makes him more special to me, that he knows me completely because he has experienced humanity and he still loves me. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that he actually decided to love me that deeply, that big. Yeah. That he's like, oh, I'll actually choose this life, yeah. the human life that I understand you, that I love you better. Yeah. And not only do you live mortality, there's something also in his divinity that gives him even a grander understanding. You know, like there is like, I lived mortality, but I also understand you even more deeply on a divine level because I know, I know every thought and intention. I know every heart. I know all of those things in, in addition to that. It reminds me of a, of, of a, these three truths that I learned from a pastor named Tim Keller, um, where he said this, when somebody says they love you, and we can almost say here, when someone says they understand you, but don't really know you, that's superficial. It actually doesn't impact my heart. That was truth number one. Truth number two is um, our greatest fear as 
humans is that people will discover who we are, who we really are, what we've been hiding, and stop loving us. Um, which is someone who might come timidly to the throne of grace, right? Oh, I, I, or with a mask on. <laughs> but number three, the third truth he says is, but when somebody knows who we are, understands us, and then loves us more, that's life eternal. And that's the experience we have with Jesus. I know. So I know how to, I know how to, I know how to make you feel better. I know how to help this. I know what it's like. I, I'm not embarrassed by the way that you've been living. I'm not embarrassed by your mistakes. He's like, listen, I understand how easy it is to want to give up on that world and want to like fall into temptation. I get it. I know what it's like. Don't be embarrassed that you did that. Don't be embarrassed that you responded that way. Come to me for help. Like sometimes our embarrassment keeps us from asking for the help. There's like, I want to pretend in prayer that I'm not actually this really angry person. Or I want to pretend in prayer that I don't lust after things. Or I want to pretend in prayer that I love church and everything so much. Instead of just coming and saying like, listen, this is what I'm like. And for him to say back, I get it. I totally get that. I can help you. That's, the, that's, that's who Jesus is. That's a throne that you want to go boldly yeah, to. Yeah, the throne of grace, mm-hmm. right? Someone like that. Right. Um, okay, and now we're going to go to Hebrews 6. And um, it happens again that the author is going to remind you of an Old Testament story that is going to connect to us. And this time, instead of Moses, it's actually going to be Abraham. And he starts in verse 13 of chapter 6. And he's going to remind you of a promise, the promise, a huge promise that he made to Abraham. And um, he's going to start by saying, which I think is just, almost for me, I like to stop anytime I hear this, it just, I, my head has to be able to make the scriptures relatable and relevant in my life. Otherwise, I'm just going to read right over it and I'm not even going to realize that I even cared about it. And I, like, no matter what, right when I hear someone that it mentions, it instantly makes me be like, okay, what has God promised me that seems out of reach? What is something that God promised me that I would react the same way when God promised Abraham mm-hmm. that would give me that same reaction that is like, no way. Like, that's crazy. That is too much. And you can see, honestly, even in some of these chapters, promises like that, that Mm -hmm. he's going to show up in my story and dot it. And he's going to be miraculous and give me gifts and make me in awe. And he's going to like, even something like that could be a promise that seems overwhelming. That You're like, there is no way that he could be that good. Or the the one we just taught, like for me, like it was kind of vulnerable to say, but sometimes like I've thought this, that no way he wouldn't be embarrassed, you know? of somebody like me you know there's a there's a verse earlier in here and oh man i wonder if i uh i'll just give i wrote it in my journal here somewhere oh you can go back and read it chapter 2 verses 12 through 14 where jesus says like he's going to claim you like he's going to say to everybody else like oh yeah that's my brother you know and i was like why would you claim like you know you actually know my history why would you claim me and for jesus to say like I can forgive you. I can forget all of those things. Like that actually, that, there are times when I think like, no way. Not That's someone, a big promise. Not, you, can't, you can't turn someone like me into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's too big. That might make you, make you react in that same way. And um, sometimes with promises like that, really big promises, just saying that you're going to do it isn't enough. I think we have that inherently in us as humans. Even the fact that we created a pinky promise that like, 
someone telling us they're going to do something sometimes just isn't enough. That we're just like, uh, okay, pinky swear. Like, you've got to give me more than just like, I yeah, yeah. I can try to take your word for it, but if you're going to give me a pinky promise, that's going to mean something more, right? Yeah. If you're going to write it down and sign your name at the end, I'm going to trust you more. Mm-hmm. I inherently, it is hard for us as humans to trust that purely, you mm-hmm. know? And it's mm-hmm. almost as if God already knows that because what's going to happen is the author is going to say, yeah, listen, um, he can promise himself, verse 13, you read it, and verse 14 saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. I will tell you that I'm going to do it. God's going to tell us he's going to do that. And then it gets even cuter because if you go um, to verse even 17 at the very end, when it, it's going to say, listen, that actually isn't, God knows that might not be enough for humans that are so hard to trust, like so hard to believe. And he's going to say, actually, God's not only going to say it, He's actually going to give you an oath. He's going to double do it. The, the promises he's making, he's going to say, listen, I will tell you and then I will pinky swear. I will tell you I'm going to do it. And then I will actually give you an oath. I didn't just say it. Here's my oath to you. And he's going to say, I, this is my nature. I will not lie in verse 18. And then the most cutest part of all time, we might have a strong consolation which if you're like me, you might not know what consolation is, but don't worry, that's why we have David and <laughs> smart people is that they will help us. And it gives the cutest, if you just look at what that word means, it says, you can actually have every reason to believe. A God like this will give you every reason to believe, not just him, but actually an oath too. You can believe that he's actually going to live up to those promises. Those promises that seem way out of our league to believe, we actually have a God that verse 19, our hope can be anchored. That can actually be the anchor of our soul is hoping in a God like that. And if you might not believe me or you might not even believe yourself, don't worry. You actually have probably already written down the evidence of a God like that. And if not, here are some places you can go back to to remember, oh, actually, we do have someone we can trust. Even on our hardest days when we are so quick to doubt, don't worry. The promises are bigger than you could ever imagine, but we have a God that lives up to it. That's the whole purpose of this sheet is all of a sudden these promises that are so easy to doubt, we have every reason to believe because this is who we're believing in. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you start to think about who is it that I trust most? You know, what's their resume? Can I really, what's that, what's that phrase? Uh, oh, shoot. So good. Anchor. Oh, verse 18. No, hold yep. on the mm. hope that's set before me. Can I really, inv- like, you know, like, oh, there's some things like, I hope that's true. I want that to be true so bad. What greater guarantee do you have in the world, in a person, in a being that would be, have more evidence than the father and the son, right? Yeah. Just like with everything they've done, with every, with everything for the people in the past, for the people in your lives, for you, even up to and ultimately that expression of Jesus on the cross. We're just like, how do I know you won't give up on me? Look at that moment. The nails and the whipping and the spitting. He didn't give up on you. He's not going to give up on you now. You can put all of your trust and all of your faith and all of your hope in 
him because he's not going anywhere. He is nailed to that cross with a nail in the sure place. It's another phrase that's coming that's going to come up in here. Steadfast and sure, merciful, long standing. He like all all of these things are like okay. I can hope in and I can trust in uh, a God like this. And he's not doing it because he's naive. Yeah. He's not naive about who we are mm-hmm. or why he loves us. We can actually have hope in someone that knows us yeah. 100% yeah. and yeah. still will show up like this. Yeah, for you, for you. Mm-hmm. I know you. Yeah. Ooh, such good stuff. That's part one of Hebrews, part two next week. See you then. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.